Hello, Bookstu viewers. Today I have an author who's familiar with three subjects that I'm not familiar with, middle school boys, hockey, and dead bodies. I'd like to introduce you to Marty Connolly, who's an author. He is a teacher at Marshall Simons Middle School in Burlington, and uh, he is an author and a hockey dad and a hockey coach, and he wears many, many hats, but I think we'll start with the dead bodies first. Um, Marty, your two books are uh, The Dead Man's Story, Dead Man's Story and The Dead Man River, mm -hmm. and they are both aimed at middle school kids, um, maybe with an emphasis on boys, because you did say that you really, as an English teacher, you're always striving to get boys to read, but I think mm -hmm. they have great appeal for both boys and girls, and actually for 67-year-old uh, women as well. I really enjoyed both books. But, let's, but yeah. each book starts with a dead body. Yeah. Um, it starts with a bang. So um, in the first book, The Dead Man's Story, you were just telling me what put a dead body into your head other than that middle school kids love gory stuff. So can you, can you tell us that story? Yeah, I mean, it's unusual, I think, for anyone you know, once in their lifetime to find or discover a dead body. And I've had, uh, I don't know if I would consider it fortunate or unfortunate to uh, <laughs> well, have that. Fortunate for you, unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate for, them, for them, I guess. Yeah, that, uh, that that's happened to me more, on more than one occasion. But uh, the first time happened uh, while I was living in New York City and I was driving from New York up here to visit family in Chelmsford. And along the way on Route 91 in the left lane of the highway, very early on a Saturday morning, sometime in October, November, uh, I'm talking about 6.15, 6.30 in the morning, I discovered a, a dead body in a clear plastic bag, uh, which came as a shock to me. So I guess uh, it would be a shock. Yeah. And you were relating to me um, the story as you tell your students, uh, you have to explain to them that based on what year this was, there weren't cell phones. Right. There was no way for you to make a call. You just had to kind of proceed on until you could get off the highway and use a payphone, probably which none of your students have ever even seen. A no, they yeah. haven't seen a dead body and they haven't seen a payphone either. Right. So I have to explain <laughs> some things for them to really understand and appreciate the the story a little bit. Uh, so, the, so the, starting with the dead body, what? Um, and you're of course an English teacher, so. You're good with words. Um, you like stories. I want to just mention the three characters that are your main characters in mm -hmm. the two books. Um, the first is Miles, who's the main character, and he's um, a, a very good uh, middle school hockey player, but he also has a, a an amazing characteristic um, for this type of, of novel, which is that he suffers greatly from anxiety. And can you tell us about the manifestations of that and what, made, what brought you there? A couple of things. As a teacher, I've been surprised over the years at how many of my students are dealing with anxiety and in some cases pretty severe anxiety. Uh, but I also had the experience as a kid growing up that my best friend you know, kind of dealt with anxiety a little bit too. For him, it was the twitching. And to this day, he still twitches. And you know, we never really understood and I don't think he understood himself why he twitched, but just the way those twitching mannerisms are described in the book is exactly what he would do. Did you talk to him about it? Because the descriptions of the twitching are, are so, uh, they're visual. You can mm -hmm. actually see what he's going through and he describes it so beautifully and 
luckily he is in a world where because he's kind of a big kid, he's a hockey player, so he's respected in his school, um, other students are aware of his twitching and his anxiety and they kind of, they don't really hold it against him. He's not bullied, he's not really teased, um, which I thought was great because of course if he was a smaller yeah. boy he probably would have been tortured all through school. So did you talk to your best friend about about it at all? I haven't. I know that he's read the book and he's a you know he enjoys the book, he loves it. Uh, his family have also read the book and uh, you know and really like the story and they get a kick out of it because they see their brother and Jimmy sees himself in in Miles in the book. Uh, but just the way you described and the way I wrote it in the book, uh, Jimmy was a very good football player. He was a good-sized kid, uh, a rugged kid, you know, very confident despite, you know, the twitching. And for us, it was, you know, the kids who hung out with them and played football with them, it was a little bit of an, an odd kind of thing. But we got used to it after a while and we got a kick out of it. Uh, what was funny sometimes is when we would play other football teams. So, for instance, Jimmy was a defensive back, so he would line up in his you know, cornerback position, and the other team's wide receiver would come out of the hunnel and come to the line of scrimmage and kind of square up against Jimmy, who would be covering him, and Jimmy would be twitching away. And, <laughs> and the other kid would be looking at Jimmy, thinking Jimmy was dissing him or something, or like, what's with this kid? He looked like he had ants in his pants, and that was just Jimmy with all the twitching. And, and it wouldn't be like you'd, he'd want to, dis you know, put a disclaimer out there to every team you played against. Hey, I do yeah. this, just, you know, let it go. But yeah. I thought you really vividly got so into what it felt like to him. Um, how, you know, he was almost comfortable with it in comfortable situations, but when he was in like a new situation with new people, right. it even made him more anxious not knowing what reactions he would get. Right, you don't know how new people are gonna react to right. something that they haven't experienced before where, you know, with a group of friends that have grown up with you, you know, you don't even think about it after a while. So if Miles represents your best friend, does Brady represent you? So Brady is yeah. the second character. He's uh, Miles' best friend, and he's very different than Miles. He's definitely a risk taker, a bold, yeah. bold kid. Um, their relationship is really good. They, yeah. they complement each other. They get each other into trouble. They urge each other on to do stupid things, but they really have each other's back. Yeah, I was, uh, I was a prankster as a kid, uh, but I was not a risk taker. Uh, so in that respect, I'm not Brady. Uh, Brady's kind of all those other kids that I used to know growing up in my neighborhood that would climb water towers and climb utility poles and jump off of roofs and do crazy stuff that I would watch them. And uh, it was interesting to watch them, and I'm glad they never got hurt, but uh, don't ask me to do it because, you know, I, I don't ever want to hurt myself. Uh, Brady kind of physically reminds me of my son, so the, uh, I modeled him off of you know my son, second oldest son growing up, uh, very skinny and bony, big hockey player, a uh, lot of heart for a kid that really wasn't as big as everyone else. Uh, but Brady, that risk taking is more to some of those other kids in the neighborhood that I grew up with. That so do you, know. you have your you have how many children? I have four. And have they all read the books? Oh yeah. Yeah. And what do they, do they give you feedback? Because, I mean, some of them at some point were the right age to yeah. be reading the books, right? Not that any age mm -hmm. isn't right, but they were the target of mid being middle school kids. Or yeah. did you have any of them in middle school when you put out two middle school books? Yeah, I would say at least two or three of them were in middle school, you know, were just out of middle school when the books came out. Uh, my oldest son, 
just graduated from Framingham State. Uh, he was in the English program, and he's done some uh, creative writing on his own, so he may you know, do something more seriously down the road. Uh, but for the kids, it was neat because they got to see all these family stories that they had heard before in a book. Uh, you know, on that, they, they weren't the only people reading it. All their friends and so many other people are reading it. And so this family history and all my stories are kind of out there in a public way. They thought that was kind of neat. So how do your students at, oh, well, let me get to the last character first. So the last character is Kat. She's a girl, and she's also a hockey player. She, to me, is the, is the big mystery. Um, we don't know a lot about her. She seems to have a terrible relationship with her parents, that, her mm. mother, who, yeah. that is like definitely the worst example of uh, a child and parent in the book. Um, I, I'm hoping that someday we'll find out more about Kat because her mm. unhappiness and uh, her disliking of school, and there seems to be very little that Kat even likes other than hanging out with Miles and Brady, and she doesn't even like hanging out with them all the time. Hmm. How, did, how did Kat come about as a character? So, yeah, a couple of things through coaching hockey uh, and teaching. Uh, girls just seem to be way ahead of boys in middle school, academically, cognitively. Uh, it's tough for the boys, you know, not that some boys don't do really well, but the girls as a group just seem to be a little bit further along than, uh, than the boys. Uh, but having said that, there are girls in middle school that uh, don't want to be there. They, they don't like school. They're not that self-directed, self-motivated student that uh, characterizes your typical girl student. Uh, so I wanted to write about them because they're a little bit different. Plus, having coached hockey, I've had kids that I've coached that, you know, it was a struggle to keep them, at, say, in high school, to keep them in school uh, and to get them to graduate because all they wanted to do was play hockey or anything but be in school and you know and that's different because most girls again you know are, are your more self-motivated self-directed uh, very driven student but there are some that just don't fit that characteristic or that description at all and so cats just seem like she'd be a good fit with Brady and and Miles you know why would a girl be hanging out with two boys there's the cousin connection but it's it's the hockey that brings yeah, them together that's yeah I, I I would hope to hear more from her someday so you've been teaching middle school English for in um, in Burlington for eight years mm -hmm. how do you think I mean eight years isn't in in the in the vast reaches of time it's a small tiny drop yeah. but in you know in the life of a teacher it's it's a it's a big I think it's kind of a vast time frame. How do you feel that things have changed for kids over mm -hmm. since you started till now? Uh, you know, one thing I always tell other teachers, especially newer teachers that I meet, uh, is that when I first got back, you know, first got into teaching, I, my background in sales, which I did for a long time, I hadn't been in a classroom in 25 or 30 years, so it was kind of interesting to be in a classroom after such a long time. And in some ways, I was surprised by the behavior of some of the kids that I thought, gee, if these kids could have their parents, you know, put an invisibility cloak on and sit in the back of the room and watch their kids for a day, you know, a lot of these parents would be horrified. Just some of that, uh, you know, self-control. Uh, they're very comfortable with adults, which in some ways is very good, but in other ways is different than how I grew up where... Comfort, comfortable to the point of being disrespectful? Yeah, and not, not, not necessarily realizing that they're not given the type of respect that uh -huh. an adult deserves. 
Uh, and I think when I grew up, and I grew up kind of the tail end of that baby boomer generation, and there were just a ton of kids, we were all over the place, uh, that we were kind of rough and tumble, but one thing we definitely did was like listen to a teacher or listen to an adult. And I found that the kids today are very nice kids, they're good kids, and they mix and mingle with each other extremely well. They have so many great qualities going for them, but they're so comfortable with adults, and I think that's because they spend so much time around adults and have since they were born that they don't always know where the lines are or should be that's, with adults. I think that's fascinating because, I mean, everything is child-centric now. I mm -hmm. think it used to be when I was growing up that everything was adult-centric first, then family-centric second, meaning mm -hmm. your family unit as a whole. And then, you know, the kid, the focus on the kids was last because mm -hmm the adults were the leaders and they had to be listened to and the concerns of kids and children was kind of, well first of all you were off playing on your own your parents weren't you weren't doing supervised stuff yeah. you were out on the street until your mother called you in for dinner and there was yeah. a whole secret life of kids yeah. that these days and of course there's screens which I think is like you know to the phones yeah. all that stuff is just to the detriment of everybody how do you handle phones in your classroom well I'm lucky where I teach sixth grade they don't have really the phones in school or in class. Oh, good. You know, it's not an issue for us. I think when they get into eighth grade and definitely in high school, you know, it's a much bigger presence in the classroom, and so it's something that needs to be managed. For me, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. It's a lot of sixth graders don't even have phones, actually. Yay. That's, you know, that's there's many that do, news. but there's also many that don't. So it's, it's, luckily for me, it's not something, you know, that uh, interrupts or disrupts my day at all. And so as far as the books are concerned, um, you, uh, it sounds to me like you had a very happy neighborhood childhood with tons and tons of kids around, having mm -hmm. adventures, off having fun. Um, I think this is the, that feeling is very reflected in the books because you, you combine the joy of being let loose and being allowed to be on your own exploring uh, riversides, sheds, weird places on your bikes. Yeah with also the, um, the awareness of what difficulties like anxiety and problems with your parents can cause. I think it's, I would think that, that middle school kids would really relate to your characters very well because I think you just nail, you remember what, what it was like when you were a kid yeah. and now you're with kids and you're able to kind of absorb it all and put it all together really well. Well, we didn't have cell phones. And back when I was a kid, I hate to admit it, but I think there were only six channels on the television, <laughs> and the kid channels didn't come on until after dinner. That you know, you had to go out and make your own fun. You know, it, there wasn't a, there wasn't a television to entertain you, and there wasn't a cell phone to entertain you. So you had to make your own fun, and we did. And sometimes, sometimes it was more trouble than fun, and sometimes the fun led to trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, but but you know, but we definitely lived in kid world. You know, and that. Uh, you know, creates and offers opportunities for all kinds of adventures and experiences and discoveries and and uh, you know and I you know wouldn't miss it or change it for uh, for a minute. What's neat with the kids though is because they their childhood experience is in some ways so different than mine that they love the stories. They love oh. to hear what it was like to be a kid before 
you know, cell phones and televisions and cable and, you know, everything else. Your books so. also show that because I know um, in, I think in both books there's a grandfather who's just a great character mm -hmm. and a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, did you have grandparents like that? Uh, interestingly, it wasn't my grandparents. My, all four of my grandparents were born and raised in Ireland. So they were, they oh. were immigrants to this country. And ironically, they never wanted to talk about Ireland. They never wanted to talk about, which I, as a kid, I was so interested. They had the Irish brogue, and they were so much different than all my you know, friends' grandparents. Uh, and I was very curious about what their life was like in Ireland. Couldn't get them to talk about it. Mm. My father, on the other hand, was an absolutely terrific storyteller, the best storyteller I've ever known. So, and, and my kids growing up uh, were lucky to get to hear you know, many of his stories. And as a kid, uh, you know, his stories were the best, you know. Well, let's, that leads us into your story. So um, I'd love it if you would read a little bit from the dead man's story so that our viewers can get a taste of your writing. Okay, so this is uh, a scene where Miles is having dinner uh, with his parents and he has an older brother, Dennis. And he's had kind of an adventurous day. He's lucky to be alive, or one of his friends is lucky to be alive kind of thing. And of course, there are things that we tell parents, and there are things that we don't tell parents. So he's kind of uh, riding the fence here a little bit. <laughs> Having a routine helps with my anxiety. It doesn't have to be a rigid minute-by-minute -minute routine. But as long as I know what to expect, I can prepare for it. The three of us have been friends for so long that we know what to expect from each other. That's why the riverbank is so awesome, was anyway. I could hang out there all day without stressing about something crazy happening. Lately, though, we've had to scrounge up fun in other ways, and it's been fun, mostly. But all these crazy, un unpredictable things have wreaked havoc with my anxiety. One of our most important routines is dinner. Mom cooks a hot meal almost every night of the week. We'll order pizza or Chinese once in a while, but during the week, Mom makes a point to cook. Tonight is one of my favorites, stuffed peppers. How's school going, Dad says. It's all right. You keeping up with homework? My chest tightens. Yeah, so far. And they give us a lot of homework, though. You think you have a lot now. Wait till eighth grade, Dennis says. Easy for you to say. You don't even have homework. Dennis is about to say something, but Mom gives him that look. You're doing fine, Miles. Just keep track of what you have to do in your agenda book. and Make sure you bring home everything you need. And then every day after school, just get it done. When you keep up with it, it's no big deal. You're doing great so far, honey. Yeah, but it takes such a long time. Plus, I have writing assignments and book reports. Plus the homework. It's too much. You'll survive. Just remember what Mrs. Thompson and Mr. Curtin said. Once you've been working on something for more than 30 minutes, just stop. If that happens, I'll write a note. So don't worry about it. You never told me I could do that, Dennis shrieks. It's a dad's turn to give Dennis the look. Changing the subject, he says to me, what'd you learn today? Have to think about what I did in school today, which is something I try to avoid once my homework is done. Dad digs into another bite of his stuffed pepper as he waits for my answer. Finally, remembering the stinky breath of that cabbage-faced man, I think of something. In health class, we learned that people shouldn't smoke. It's really bad for you. Well, that's worth learning. People know that smoking causes cancer and kills them, unless it smells and tastes so bad. Why do they do it? I don't know. I've lived a lot of life, and I've got to tell you that along the way, you learn a lot. Figure some things out. But even after more than 45 years, I still haven't figured out why anyone would smoke. That, Miles, I don't have an answer for. 
changing the subject, Mom says, have you kids still been going down to the riverbank? I fidget before responding, nah, not really. Why not? I thought you kids loved hanging out down there. I look away from my mom. I glance at Dad, who looks at me, waiting for an answer. We do. It's just that we've been busy since school started. Plus, you know, Mom smirks at me. Well, your kids haven't been around much. What do you do all afternoon? Where have you been spending your time? My back heats up like someone is ironing my shirt while I'm still wearing it. Despite this, I try to answer as casually as I can. We've been hanging out by the water tower. Since when do you hang out at the water tower, Dad says. I don't answer, but Mom does. Wouldn't have anything to do with that whole dead body business, would it? I just don't feel like going down there to the riverbank, that's all. Can't say I'd be too enthusiastic about hanging down there myself if I'd found a dead person, Dennis blurts. There's nothing to be afraid of. There was no dead person, okay, Mom says. What's to do with the water tower, Dad says. And I shift in my seat. Nothing really, it's just nearby and a place to hang out with any, without anyone bothering us. Hope you guys aren't doing anything stupid over there, Dad says, pointing his fork at me. Such as what, Mom says. Dennis's eyes twist into a grin. Dad cuts into his food and takes an angry bite, like climbing the water tower. I can't prevent a very noticeable eye flutter, a double one at that, followed by a powerful rib crunch that causes my chair to scrape on the floor. Miles, you're not climbing that water tower, are you? You know how dangerous that is? You could kill yourself if you ever fell off the thing. Mom howls as Dad glares at me. No way I'm going to tell them about last night. That's just a monkey business that'll end my hockey season. No, but I say it so uncertainly, and my parents stare at me so coldly that I feel the need to say something. Quick. Brady climbed up the ladder a little ways. Not a big deal. Oh, my God, Mom wails. Her fork drops on her plate with a loud ping. Dad shakes his head and gives me that look the kind that doesn't need words. He's a good climber. We climb trees down at the riverbank all the time. Nothing happened. He didn't go that high. I'm letting his mom know, and I'm Betty too. No more water tower for you guys, you hear me? I can only hope that Brady hasn't told his mom about my dangerous but necessary climb up the tower. Cat hardly talks to her mom, so I don't have to worry about her. Ah, oh, there's that cat. Yeah. So um, that to me is the quintessential uh, supper discussion that every family has, um, which may seem mundane when you do it day after day, but I think it takes real skills to be able to capture it, write it, and put it in a form that really makes it fascinating to read. I mean, it's something that we've all done, yet you're able to, through the dialogue and through your kind of stage directions of the mother drops her fork, and mm. I, I think it's, it's really, really well done. How, well, did you, you. Um, how did you start writing? So you were in sales, yeah. and then you became, you switched courses completely to become a teacher. Right. When did the writing start? So, you know, going back many years ago, I always thought, gee, if I ever had the time, you know, when I retire or something like that, I would love to give writing a try, because I love to read. And at the time, I was thinking more short stories. Uh, but I have all these stories and I love to share them with the kids when it fits into the curriculum of what we're learning in the classroom. And the kids love the stories and the response was always, gee, Mr. Conley, you should write a book with all your stories. <laughs> and my response would be, well, I don't, when do I have time to be writing a book? Uh, you know, I was coaching two hockey teams actually at the time, um, one of my son's youth teams and then uh, the high school team. Plus I was going to grad school uh, to get my master's, uh, you know, as part of being a teacher. 
but they planted a seed. They got me thinking. And when I finished grad school, uh, I poured myself a glass of wine, I sat out on the deck, I had my <laughs> laptop, and I thought, well, if I were to write a book, you know, like, what would I do? And so that's when I thought of, uh, you know, the incident when I discovered the dead body on Route 91 in Connecticut, and just kind of started from there. And what I, wanted, what I did was just kind of write out that scene. I just wanted to see for myself if I could write. I had never done any writing before. So I wrote it all out, took about 15, 20 minutes or something, and then I read it back and I thought, oh yeah, no, I can write. You know? <laughs> I, I can definitely write. Uh, I wasn't sure if I could write a book, but at least I knew that what I had written was pretty good. Then I had to figure out how to, how to write a book. Uh, so it took a while you know, to did put you this together. Did you figure it out or did you go for any courses or training or anything? Just figured it out. Uh, you know, read some uh, kind of how-to self-help books on writing tips. Uh, which, were, which were a big help. At one point I did use uh, Grub Street. Uh -huh. I used a service that they offer, had uh, a published author uh, take a look at my manuscript and give me some feedback, uh, which was a, a big help. Uh, and, and the feedback was positive and uh, very encouraging. Uh, you know, her biggest suggestion was to move the inciting incident up a little bit so that it was earlier in the book, which in both books, it yeah. <laughs> both books open with those. And I think they have to do that incidents. for middle school readers. You know, they want to get to the story as quickly as possible. Well, I think you you want to do that for every reader. I mean, yeah. I just it's very compelling to start out with a bang. It it certainly prevents you from putting the book down. I mm -hmm. I I felt that the the books flowed very well, and I just wanted to keep reading just to find out what was going on, but yeah. also to learn more about Miles and how he handled his anxiety. I think it's, it's so uh, beneficial for everybody, if you're Miles or if you're a friend of someone yeah. like Miles, to really see the inside of, of what that's like. He's not a perfect kid, you know, and none of us are perfect people. All of us struggle with something to get to where we want to be, and it's always about overcoming uh, the obstacles that we're either born with or we're put in our way. So um, how do you urge your students to read your books? How does that work? Well, I'm lucky that I get to read the book with my students in my reading class. Oh, excellent. Uh, which is good and bad because I get to uh, kind of sidebar all these little writing tips and stories and all. But then again, it takes a long time to read the book because I get sidetracked with all the side discussions that add, add to the book and that the kids enjoy. So the class is almost like a book club in a way. It is, a, yeah. It's been a great experience. So, Do you think uh, that it's really, I hope, I'm, I'm a library trustee. Obviously, I'm an avid reader or I wouldn't be on my 70th book stew. Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. do you, I would think that books like yours really encourage um, middle, middle school kids. I wonder, have you had any kids that like were reluctant readers and you had like breakthroughs with them because of either your books or of asking them to tell stories of their own? I have and that was the whole point of writing the book actually was when I first started teaching I couldn't believe how few boys were readers and how many reluctant readers there are out there. So I wanted to write something that would uh, you know encourage boys to read and to you know and, uh, kind of foster or develop that interest in reading that I grew up with and yeah it's one of the best things as a teacher and as an author is to walk down the hallway and have a kid walk by me and say, hey, Mr. Connolly, I'm reading a book I love. And as a matter of fact, today they brought the fifth graders up to the middle school today to do like a little orientation right, right. day. And one of the uh, eighth graders that's 
leading the groups that, oh, and here comes Mr. Conley, and he's written two books, and they're really interesting books. Oh, wow. So, and that's good, and that's a boy. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to, to get boys reading uh, because I think it's so important, and I, and I know how important it is as an ELA teacher. So, you know, I've had uh, quite a few instances where I've gotten feedback where I'm, I'm able to think to myself, check mark, I did it. You know, I got, I got a bunch of boys who were reluctant readers to read. Well, um, books do viewers, I'm afraid that we're at the end of the show, but I want to tell you that I'm not a reluctant reader by any means, and I'm not a middle school boy, but I think I enjoyed these books just as much as any middle school boy did. Marty, I want you to, uh, to thank you for being with me today. We'll be looking for your next effort, which isn't, um, isn't going to have Miles and Brady and Kat in it, but maybe you'll return to them at some point. And um, do you promise me that when you publish your next one, you'll come back? Would love to. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And yeah. um, Marshall Simons Middle School students, Mr. Connolly was on this show with me, and you'll be able to watch it, and not only watch it, but you'll be able to listen to it as a podcast. Thanks so much again, Marty. Books to viewers, have a great day.